0: From Washington, this is the HPS Macrocast with Hamilton Place Strategies and Markets Policy Partners. Good morning, it's Friday, September 3rd, and you're listening to the HPS Macrocast. I'm Matt McDonald, in for Tony Frado this week, and I'm here as always with John Fagan and Brendan Walsh from Markets Policy Partners. It is it is Jobs Day of uh, Labor Day weekend, which means we have a lot to talk about, but Who knows how many people will actually turn in on this tune in on this uh, getaway Friday? Um, So the for the jobs for the jobs data that just came out, we've the it's a pretty big miss. Um, BLS announced two hundred and thirty five thousand new jobs created in August. You know the expectations and forecasts were more in the three quarters of a million to a million range, which is kind of what you know, the range that we've been seeing over the period of recovery from the pandemic. The unemployment rate actually went down from uh, 5.4% to 5.2%. It's worth saying that there's kind of just, there's a lot of context to the jobs report in terms of the rise of the Delta variant. Um, You know, we are on the cusp, this is August, so we're on the cusp of schools returning, we're on the cusp of um, the extended unemployment benefits running out in most states that still have it going on. So, um, you know, it's an interesting, it's an interesting moment to kind of capture that as we go into the fall. It's not, it's not the kind of job growth that we would like to see certainly at this point in the recovery. Um, Brendan, what do you make of
1: it? If you, if you look at the details, it kind of confirms all the anecdotal evidence that we were seeing throughout August of what was going on in the economy. Um, you know, yesterday we had the, the NFIB, the, the small business, uh, they put out their employment uh, report uh, the day before, and 50% of businesses are unable to fill jobs that they wanted to. Um, so I think you saw in the average hourly earnings, which were up 0.6%, where only 03 was expected, that we're not hiring many people. And if you do hire them, you're going to have to pay them more. Uh, I also thought it was very interesting, um, you know, retail trade lost 28,000 jobs, uh, you know, where that had been a, a large, um, we saw rehiring of that in the in the early spring and uh, beginning of the summer. Also, you um, you know, um, uh, leisure services also uh, was, was disappointing. Uh, and also going back to the Delta, um, healthcare actually lost uh, 4.6 thousand jobs. Um, <clears throat> that's what happens again, what we saw when, when ERs get overwhelmed, um, A, people leave because they're, they're sick of doing this anymore, but also most importantly, Um, elective surgeries get canceled. So that part of the hospital that isn't the ER kind of has to shut down. Uh, So there's there's really nothing good uh, coming out of this uh, report, especially nothing that you see in the August report that you wouldn't expect to also see in the September report. I don't think the world has changed that that much that we're going to see a big bounce back come September.
0: It's worth drilling down on on the fact that, and I think sometimes we can forget this, but, you know, the jobs report is a measure of matching supply and demand. A lot of times I think, feel like people's, your mental model of it is that, oh, you know, people create a new job and then they hire someone because everybody wants jobs. That's not exactly what we're seeing here is that, you know, there are times when worker supply is the constraint. You continue to see um, hourly earnings increase in this report. I think that, you know, It'll be interesting to see how hourly earnings uh, progresses as we continue to create jobs, because you know a, you have a composition effect across the types of jobs that are created that that could shift on some of that stuff over time. Um, but it's an important point that you know the supply of workers and who wants a job is is a big question in, at this point in the recovery too.
1: Yeah, and this is you know unprecedented time, so. We- we can't necessarily look to the past to see how it was. We, we do know that you know two million baby boomers took, took uh, early retirement, essentially. That you know they they had been working a part time job and aren't doing aren't willing. Probably most of them won't. You know, like they've gotten used to not working. Um, and then have uh, a lot of people that worked in the hospitality industry, especially restaurants, who. Uh, by anecdotal evidence, a lot of them decided that the quality of life wasn't all that good and they'd rather do something else.
2: Is there a possibility that August is something of an anomaly when you have a situation in which, as, as Matt alluded to earlier, the ex, the extra unemployment benefits begin to roll off and there is back to school, back to school is an issue that uh, can propel some people back into the workforce potentially. What, what do you what do you think? Uh sep- can September really represent a turnaround potentially on those two fronts?
0: I mean, my view on this stuff is that we're we're still this is not the first miss we've seen in the recovery. And um you know, if you look, July and August or J- June and July added, you know, an extra one hundred thirty-four thousand in revisions. Um, you know, average over this year, you know, we've been averaging over half a million jobs created per month, which is a lot. At this point, we're still down over 5 million jobs from pre pandemic. So, you know, it's an interesting question. I think it kind of go, it it goes back to some really early debates on in the pandemic of if we're going to see a v-shaped recovery or a u-shaped recovery i would argue that we've seen a v-shaped recovery um but but i don't think it's like a smooth v i mean there's been a lot of like choppiness in the entirety of the economy um and choppiness in the stages of the pandemic and what phases we've been through as it spiked and then declined and then spiked and then declined and then you get delta you know i mean it's worth it's worth pointing out that the 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 numbers right now are not good. I think that, um, you know, if anything, if anything has changed a lot over the course of the pandemic, it's, it's uh, risk appetites is that, you know, at some point, especially post vaccine, people have made some choices to say, you know, like I gotta, I gotta live my life and I can't stay in my basement all the time. Um, you know, so it, it, it. I don't. It's interesting it, where we are, and you look at the pandemic numbers. Is that some of this stuff in places could be as bad as the start of the pandemic? It's just that you know we're not seeing job crashes because people are right learning to live with it. Because I, I don't know if COVID's ever going away.
2: Yeah, that's the uh, the and also a lot of the hotspots are places where the risk, shall we say, the sort of risk tolerance for COVID is relatively higher and people will tend to go about their lives uh, and uh, and behave <laughs> and as, uh, as if, uh, you know, as if uh, the mask mandates haven't come back and so forth in, in a lot of the country. But, you know, the uh, back to school is, it, it really is a big deal. We've sort of focused in on this and it's one of the things that the, we've, been expecting the Fed to be pretty cautious uh, and uh, in in its assessment of the economy here in this pivotal fall period, and uh, and this the speculation was that if this number really shot the moon right, and we were putting up like a million jobs or plus, there was a pretty high bar for upside expectations. As you said, Matt, the the, the estimates were you know three quarters of a million jobs, uh, but. Even if we had a you know a monster number, the Fed might be pretty cautious based on what Chair Powell said at the Jackson Hole speech last week in moving ahead with a taper or rollback of accommodation as soon as the September meeting, and uh, and pretty clear that this number puts September you know off the table in terms of an announcement of the taper. Let
0: me ask. Let me ask this from a from a Fed perspective: If we are seeing a job market that is um i guess constrained by worker interest or worker supply as opposed to the usual how does how does that incorporate the how does that work into the feds thinking on some of their stuff going forward because you know i it you're you're obviously seeing their strong wage growth that would be the driver to entice people back to work and you could continue to see that Um, but it's certainly I, I, I would think that I think most people would say that it's not for lack of uh, job openings that we're seeing the, this miss or other anemic numbers.
2: Yeah, I think that's fair to say the Fed really hasn't hammered home the point of job mismatch as something that they've uh, that they focused on. The lots of the commentary has been about the the lower socioeconomic uh, uh, echelons and disproportionately impacted racial groups that have a lot more ground to make up, uh, lagging in some of this jobs uh, in the labor market recovery, that's certainly been a focus uh, expressly. But in terms of what, the, what a, a job mismatch uh, dynamic looks for, for means for monetary policy, I think that's gonna be a question that they confront later this year. And, uh, and that's really going to be uh, shown out by September and October if the, you know, with the unemployment extra benefits rolling off, the kids going back to school en masse, and we still have some, you know, constraints, obviously, in the labor market, uh, if those show through in the September, October, November numbers. Then I think the Fed is going to have to start sharpening their pencils on this issue. It's really not clear that, you know, rolling back accommodation would do anything to fix that. Uh, but at the same time, it doesn't speak to a kind of, you know, the kind of weakness uh in the jobs market that the Fed is used to dealing with.
0: Yeah. It's also I worth think- it's worth touching on the fact that in the same uh September, October timeframe, we have a lot of shoes to drop on the fiscal policy side. You have Um, you have the Democrats working to pass both of their stimulus packages. You have a need for continuing resolution to fund the government. You have a debt ceiling fight that the markets always love. Um, So there's a lot of pieces, um, you know, as we head into Labor Day, I would say (laughs) it's not the jobs, jobs report doesn't really set a clean clean slate for what's to come in, in terms of a lot of clarity. And it just, it feels like there's a lot of uncertainty on the
2: horizon as we enter into the fall. Absolutely. And that's been borne out in a lot of the other data. We've seen the incoming economic readings. It's not just the non-farm payrolls. A lot of the other recent economic readings have been kind of muddy. If you look at retail sales, the last couple of months have been pretty disappointing. Uh, we obviously saw some hiccups in the purchasing managers indexes uh, in the service uh but nothing, nothing really serious on that front. We've seen some sentiment indicators uh, really gyrating wildly. Um, what are some other uh, What are some other data points, Brendan, that uh, that have crossed your radar screen? As, uh, yeah,
1: yeah, the, the manufacturing sector, while still at high levels, is slowing down, and a lot of that is because of supply constraints. And I think, honestly, the the simple message is, especially for monetary policy, is the the virus is still the main driving force. Be behind the economy and obviously there's not much monetary policy can do to to solve that so we're still you know at the um at the whims of of these new variants and also people's ability uh, and willingness to get get vaccinated
0: yeah we are it's interesting you know we're not the uh supply chain issues that were such a big part of the beginning of the pandemic and then the early vaccination stuff I mean, you can anyone can get a vaccine if you want a vaccine in the United States, at least. And yeah. with the booster guidance, it's. I mean, with the booster guidance coming up, you know, um, the older populations that were the priority at the beginning in kind of yes. January and February. Uh, if you got a the eight month guidance, if you got if you got your if you complete your, um, if you completed your first cycle of the vaccine, by the end of September, you're gonna be getting a booster. So we're actually, you know, I, I think it, 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 the guidance from public health on the boosters, it, I, I think the guidance is there, but the outcomes are not, we don't know if this is gonna be a yearly thing or, or what the efficacy will be going forward. Um, but we're actually on the cusp of uh appropriate eligibility for some of that stuff coming up so that that will be interesting to see how that may or may not impact the pandemic going into holiday
2: season and also the children's uh the uh, approval for kids under 12 and basic (laughs) my my kids right and the guidance on that has has likewise been a little
0: fuzzy i mean i'm rooting hard with a vested interest but the um but the guidance on that has been before the end of the year. Um, yeah.
1: And, and, and at the beginning of the summer, there was a lot of optimism that it would be approved in August. So they've really hit the brakes on that and kind of gone quiet, which is disappointing. Yeah. Well, that, we don't have a head to the FDA, so that might have something to do with it
0: that still just blows my mind that we're in a pandemic and we do not have a uh, confirmed,
1: we have a lot of doctors. We can just pick one. (laughs) It's gotta be better
0: than nothing. Um,
1: all right, let's, let's take a quick break. Uh,
0: when we come back, uh, we want to chat through, uh, some under the radar developments in China. Um, and, and go through a little bit of, of uh, while everybody has been preoccupied with uh, wars and hurricanes and flooding and pandemic, there are developments that, that are pretty interesting. We'll, we'll chat on that in a little bit. On the first Friday of every month, HPS analyzes the latest jobs and labor market data in a digestible format. Sign up for our reports at hamiltonplacestrategies.com or on Twitter at HPS Insight. And we're back with the HPS Macrocast. Matt McDonald here with Hamilton Place Strategy with John Fagan and Brendan Walsh of Markets Policy Partners. Um, John, talk to me about what you're looking at in China and seeing on some of the recent trends and,
2: and policies over there. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, China is a really interesting case this year. We saw, obviously, the U.S.-China relations get pretty frosty under President Trump. The trade war was high profile. That was really the big story of 2019 to a great degree. And, uh, and the expectation was that the Biden administration, the expectation we had was that the Biden administration would really continue the kind of pressure on China that the Trump administration had been putting on this multi-front campaign to counter China's ambitions on a variety of different fronts. And uh, with a different set of priorities, and obviously a different style, much more multilateral approach under uh, the Biden administration. Uh, But, and that's really what we've seen. Uh, We have certainly not seen a rollback of the the Trump era tariffs, those are still in place. Uh, The initial high level meetings have been pretty frosty still, uh, and uh, intense. And the you know, the approach that the uh, Biden administration has taken, they have uh, tried to marshal, you know, the allies and uh, Western democracies and, uh, and Japan and some of the other uh, regional allies against China. We saw Vice President Harris uh, making those uh, that kind of a statement in her visits to Southeast Asia. And, you know, we had a sense that Chinese assets were going to continue to uh, be you know, pressured by some of this uh, from the U.S. side, we're seeing obviously the the SEC uh, pressuring Chinese companies to up their disclosure and uh, and continuing on a path that could eventually lead to delisting of some U.S. Uh, U.S. listed Chinese stocks. And so all with all this going on, uh, Beijing has actually uh, from their side really slammed the private sector. So it's not just a the. The U.S. putting pressure on them, they're now getting squeezed on both sides. And uh, this regulatory campaign uh, that we saw kick off really in earnest after the, uh, when the regulators in Beijing pulled the Ant uh, Financial IPO, this high profile IPO last year, and it's really uh, continued and intensified this year. Uh, the DD, the ride hailing giant, uh, their U.S. IPO earlier this summer was spoiled by subsequent regulation, ostensibly about data security. And that stock just got crushed. I mean, it's down like 40 plus percent from its IPO price. And uh, and when you look at U.S. listed uh and, and this is not just an isolated incident, the uh, the pressure on uh, Chinese internet companies, uh, all sorts of different industries from cosmetics to video gaming. There's a, a new regulation recently about how many hours children can spend gaming per week. It is, uh, it is a very heavy handed approach. And this is Shown through in the in the performance of Chinese stocks, uh, the Hang Seng last week or, or uh, recently went into a technical bear market, which is twenty percent below its recent high. Bounced back a little bit as the People's Bank of China indicated more uh, permissive liquidity conditions, uh, but still these stocks are under a lot of pressure. U.S. listed ADRs, the Chinese uh, companies listed in the U.S. An index of that that's down like forty percent this year. It's a it's an absolute drubbing that these stocks are taking, and uh, and this and the Shanghai Composite isn't isn't immune to this. It's up three percent this year versus twenty plus for the S and P five hundred. Usually, when you see Chinese style a market this big, this important, such a large part of portfolios uh, across the world doing so badly, it often. Sp- you see it spill over into broader risk sentiment, but it's actually been pretty well-contained this time. Uh, But that doesn't necessarily mean it will stay contained. Uh, And so we're seeing some of the systemic uh, risks. It's not just the regulatory approach, some of these systemic risks that are embedded in the highly levered uh, property sector particularly, but some of the other um, asset management Areas in China, we saw the state-owned Huarong, which is a bad, basically a, a, a troubled asset, <laughs> a troubled asset manager getting in trouble itself, and uh, receiving a bailout from uh, from other state-owned companies. But the private sector um, canary in the coal mine is a gigantic, heavily levered uh, property develop- developer called Evergrande, and. Evergrande is appears to be circling the drain, and uh, the expectation for a bailout from Beijing is uh, not (laughs) not there, and uh, and certainly that shows through the price of their benchmark dollar bonds is is thirty six cents on the dollar and trending in the (laughs) in the in the wrong direction. This is a potential. I feel like
0: there's been speculation on you know ghost cities in China and stuff for about a decade that's never really materialized into any kind of crisis. And I don't know that, I mean, if it's a crisis, I'm not sure it rates today. (laughs) There's so much that's going on that there's, as we said before, I think there's a lot under the radar here that'll have impacts to come, but that just doesn't, in terms of everything that's going on, it's tough to pay attention to.
2: That's absolutely right, and as you say, the uh, the scare stories about China blowing up uh, that started in and being overlevered and too much credit that those started in 2010, <laughs> and uh, and it has really been a case in which it, that doesn't mean that China hasn't come through some really serious periods. Remember the 2015, early 2016 deflation scare when the renminbi was basically you know kind of a soft devaluation of the renminbi and an enormous amount. Foreign exchange reserves fled that country. It was a challenging moment, and uh, and it's easy to think back and uh, and you know with with hindsight and say, well, the Fed came in and the global central banks uh, you know pulled pulled back on the <laughs> on the stick and uh, and the global financial system regained altitude. But it was really touch and go back then. I was the Treasury Department, and it was a major all hands on deck uh, risk assessment. Now, just because, you know, we've seen Chinese and global central bankers and global policymakers, you know, pull the uh, uh, pull everything out of the fire uh, time and time again, it's sort of the boy who cried wolf uh, impact. So if you're sitting there and saying, you know, China is going to have a gigantic credit problem, you don't have a lot of credibility on that uh, on that score because it just it hasn't we haven't had an earthquake uh, that really, uh, you know, takes down the the system in a way like 2008 did. Um, so it remains to be seen they're obviously trying to keep this an isolated incident and uh, and minimize the spillover in terms of Evergrande. Uh, but this is coming at a time when, uh, you know, the rest of the world is U.S. stocks are printing new highs all the time. And it's a, it's a glaring, increasingly glaring disparity.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I think a lot of the developments in China, too, recently have been a uh a big fat reminder of like the, the the politics that impact the economy over there. I mean, the, you know, the old uh, socialism with Chinese characteristics uh, I feel like a lot of people interpreted that as a euphemism for capitalism uh, (laughs) without saying it. Um, And I think, you know, some of it now has the vibe of what it really means is that the party's in charge and don't you forget it is, um, is the vibe that they're throwing off.
2: Yeah, the ride, the Chinese Uber, DD, their stock is rallying this morning on news that the Beijing city government is going to buy a big stake in their company and basically turn it into a state, you know, effectively a state-run company. Yeah, you know, and, it's, and it's good news for the stock, but you know, crazy. From yesterday, they, they were you know criticizing all the
1: ride-hailing for being too entrepreneur and that they need to take care of the consumer. And, and now the government, a communist government is going to take it over. I don't understand why that's good for a stock right?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, it's just because the stock has fallen so far and it's taken such a beating and pulled off of the app, basically, yeah, yeah, the yeah, store no. over there. And they figure, well, you know, Beijing city government ownership will inoculate Didi against further regulatory broadsides from Beijing. But you really don't know. And uh, and certainly, you know, Didi as a private exciting company is different than Didi as a state-owned enterprise, right? And uh, for the for the long term. So this may be a, a this may be a near term respite for the stock, but we'd be worried about the long term. We continue to be worried about the long term of the of the Chinese um, of the Chinese um, equities and certainly the tech sector. But one thing that hasn't the dog that hasn't barked is the Renminbi. The Renminbi has basically stayed pretty stable and that's not consistent with past, uh, you know, past past market problems in china the renminbi would typically start to weaken and even fall out of bed in some cases and that really ramps up the risk um the chances of a spillover into global financial markets so we're watching the renminbi very closely
0: plenty to keep track of going forward let's let's take a quick break and then we'll be back with a a short overview of what's to come our associates and analysts application is open we are looking for current college seniors interested in economics, political science, or public policy to join us for a two-year leadership program with start dates in January, June, and September 2022. Apply today and work on the top debates and policy issues in tech, healthcare, energy, trade, and more. You can apply by visiting the careers page on our website at hamiltonplacestrategies.com careers. All right, we're back on the HPS Macrocast. Uh, Brendan, what are, what are you looking ahead at?
1: Uh, the, the big event from next week will be the uh, ECB, or European Central Bank. They have a, uh, the meeting. Uh, and Europe is kind of going through a similar thing that we are, you know, it looked like we were emerging and getting back to normal and things have slowed down just as much in, uh, in Europe as, as here. So they have a similar kind of decision as the Fed does going forward. Uh, also, Canada and uh, Australia have central bank uh, meetings. Uh, we get some uh, producer price index data um, along with uh, just your kind of normal uh, consumer sentiment and manufacturing data from around the world. But the, the central
2: bank uh, meetings will be the, the main events of the week. Yeah, we heard a lot of crosstalk from ecb officials this week after a uh, cpi their uh, consumer price index came out at a basically a decade high now decade high is like three percent in the, in the yeah. you know, in the sort of disinflationary uh, eu morass uh, over the past decade but you know obviously cue the northern european deflationists they jumped out all over that number and said oh this is their this is demands a r- policy response We've got to roll back uh, accommodation and so forth, but uh, we don't think that President Lagarde is going to play along with that. Uh, she has basically commanded this uh, the governing council with a pretty firm hand, and uh, she has been unambiguously uh, accommodative and uh, and cautious in her assessment of the economy. And uh, and she and her more dovish colleagues are echoing the Fed and. And characterizing inflation upside as transitory, and they really do have a data, you know, the data to back that up in a lot of in a lot of ways.
0: Great, uh, thank you, Brendan. Thank you, John. Thanks to everyone for listening to the HPS Macrocast. I'm Matt McDonald, in for Tony Fratto. Have a great Labor Day weekend, everybody. Thank you for listening to the HPS Macrocast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and share.